You're listening to the Sportsman's Nation Podcast Network brought to you by Interstate Batteries. From your truck to your trail camera and everything in between, if you have a piece of hunting gear or a piece of hunting equipment that needs a battery, Interstate Batteries has got you covered. You can go to a local retail store or you can go visit online at interstatebatteries.com. They have thousands of local retail shops all over the U.S., so you can go there as well. Interstate Batteries, outrageously dependable. Welcome to the Land and Legacy Podcast. We're your hosts, Adam Keith. And Matt Dye. This is your number one resource for all things land. If you're interested in conservation, habitat management, hunting strategy, and rural real estate, this is the podcast for you. All right, let's jump into this podcast. Back on Habitat, you know, we've been, uh, oh, it's the end of October. A lot of guys, it's, I mean, if you're a deer hunter, this is in, it's July and you're on family vacation and your mind drifts to hunting, deer hunting, it's this time of year. Oh, yeah. Most of the time, unless you're one of those guys that is somewhere down south with a weird rut. Right, You think of late October, November, chasing deer pre-rut through the rut i mean when you look at this week's weather across a lot of the midwest and heading east it's something that a lot of deer hunters get super excited for and rightfully so there's some big cold fronts we've been really lucky with some cold fronts in october um, but this is the time frame when those cold fronts really match the high end like deer movement that everyone really desires and looks for to be able to hunt throughout an entire year so when you get the weather and that deer movement matched up it can be incredible so there's absolutely a lot of deer hunters right now kind of licking their chops getting ready for this week in particular well i and and the one the few to follow the few to follow but i I uh, you know we look at the forecast so much uh, this during during this time of the year and it's like a couple times a day I'm looking to see how much it changed so because average 17 times. I'm sorry a day. <laughs> if you're a weatherman, don't plug your ears, earmuff. Yeah. Um, but it changes so much. It's like uh, they don't have any kind of clue. It's a little bit of a prediction, but it's like oh, it says it's going to snow two inches. Oh, it's not even going to rain now. Yeah, but uh. Or, the, or they ahead. moved the, the rain for two days ahead of time than, than what yes. that precipitation was supposed L- to be. Looking ahead, um, there's a, a day next week. Uh, of course, this podcast will air a few days from now. And a few days after that, we're, we are forecasted to get like a skiff of snow. Yep. It was like On Halloween t- morning, I believe t- it was. Two-tenths of an inch. Yeah. Uh, unbelievable uh, to think about. But then talking to our friend Kyle Bennett down in uh, Mississippi – who's hunting in northern Missouri, said they're calling for like four or five inches or something like that. Three to four up in north Missouri, that same window And of so time. very, uh, you know, there's going to be a lot of guys just, whoo, there's going to be a lot, of, a lot of sick leave yeah. um, happening happening this week and next week. So, but, you know, we got a whole other podcast talk about hunting and talk about yeah. our hunting strategy. This podcast, of course, this is what the whole bread and butter um, coming to you focused on land management, land stewardship, and habitat management, all things 
what we do day in, day out. Actually, if you hear a little bit of background noise on this podcast, that's because we're headed to another console. We are yes. in route again. Uh, you know what I think? Here, here's, here's what I think. I think we do our best podcast when we're driving down the road. Maybe, yeah, maybe so, maybe so. Uh, I don't know. I think I, I don't I'd love to hear what their thoughts are. I know. Let us know, guys. Do you like podcasts driving down the road, or do you like back in the office, the studio? Which ones turn out better? I don't, I don't know. I, don't, I guess I don't have a reason for, but a lot of times we just, when when we're driving down the road, we got a lot of thoughts. We're seeing a lot of things. And I, th- I think they just they flow really well, and that end message is is good and good and clear as to what are the, what are the next moves for everybody who owns land out there or manages land. What do they do in their situations? Yeah, uh, I, this podcast has has evolved. I would be scared to go back and listen to some of the first ones. We don't listen to these ones. I definitely ain't going back and listening to the first. <laughs> I got to say this because I get cracked up. I do read the reviews um, on iTunes and on our recommendations on our Facebook yeah, yeah. page. Absolutely. I read them all, um, good well, and I'll, bad. I'll check them. Um, and we, we had one lately, if you're listening, man, awesome. Uh, <laughs> I got I got cracked up, um, and I'm gonna tell you why. So we were we were called that we get a little you know, we that we little ramble preachy. and that we get a little preachy, and uh, which could be a negative, could be a positive. I don't know how he meant it, but uh, I took it as a I'm, oh I'm man, a positive. Heck we're yeah. a little preachy. I was thinking we were a whole lot preachy, and and so we're gonna have to turn it up a few notches and get a little bit more preachy. Good thing it's a Sunday. <laughs> today when we're recording (laughs) this podcast is uh it's gone a long ways but um we do want to thank uh one of the companies makes it all possible stratton seed company out of stuttgart arkansas go strattonseed.com guys we've been with them for a couple of years now um a big part of what we do with them is help develop seed blends so it's not just us saying go check them out we don't really uh, have experience with with a lot of them or whatever it is Um, we help develop their blends a lot of their blends and so that's our ties that's why we uh, support we work together support them they support us because of the background and uh, the ability to get get behind our message and and help us bring these blends to you guys so go check them out all right so we'll get a little bit preachy on this sunday afternoon drive to arkansas um fellas we can't thank you enough for all the business and all the support from consulting to real estate um Man, I, I, I bet if we're honest with you guys, and everything too. to say that three years ago when we started this venture to strike out and strike out on our own and start Land and Legacy and help consult from a holistic mindset, um, I don't know if I could have could have visioned being in this many states on this many acres in that short amount of time. It's been unbelievable. Um, to think we're doing a consult October 28th. Yep. I uh, I would I would just call that crazy, but well, and and to have been 
everywhere across the U.S. in the month of October as well. States like Iowa, Virginia, Mississippi, Arkansas. It's like, you know, man, it's deer hunting time. Yeah. <laughs> but but hey, that's, what, that's what I love about it because yeah. these guys are like, yeah, I don't really care about the hunting season. I more want to know the plan and get behind a plan for the farm. And the the hunting is second. It's Com- a distinct, it comes second. It's a distinct, like, clear boundary of the value of short-term goals versus long-term goals. Short-term goal is, yeah, I could go and hunt that weekend or hunt that day, get some hours in the tree stand, have a good time, that's great. Or I could learn about what to do with this property for the lifetime that I own it and how to maximize it. That's the value, and that's the that's like ideal from let's say our standpoint as we make recommendations on the properties you know we want to be able to make recommendations to those people who who value what it's going to look like down the road and who understand the importance of making these actually turn these recommendations into practices once we leave and you know it doesn't just start and end with a consultation. It starts with the consultation, and then there's a whole long list of practices that are going to span the, you know, the lifetime of the property. That's a long time. Yeah. And so that's encouraging to have right out of the gate, you know, people like that jumping on board, wanting to, you know, eager for that information to make those property changes. And those some some as you guys will hear in this podcast drastic property changes completely changing what that uh, property is going to look like i i wasn't with you in mississippi but it will never look that way again type yes. management to where you think it may be cool or look cool but holy cow you'll never see this property like it again no and, and, and uh, that I, may take a little bit of that's scary wisdom <laughs> to go okay this is I kind of like it like this. I'm going to listen to this forester and this consultant, and you know what? We are going to change it. Yeah. And I, to think, I'll never get to see it like this. I sure hope we're making the right decision. It's a, They're big steps. But when you big look steps. at we'll talk about it later, but when you look at it from a what kind of value does this offer to the wildlife currently, how many acres of this do I have currently? And what would this look like 10 years from now versus the change and how many benefits it has to a, a list of different species? So uh, lots of things to look at, and uh, I will jump into those a little uh, later on in the podcast. And so that's, that's the thing. Uh, you know, there's... There's some recommendations, let's say, I think that will we make on properties that they're not going to happen, you know, a year after we leave or two years. Sometimes it might not be 10 years before something like that happens on the property. However, our goal with every single plan that's written, every property is make all the necessary recommendations and all the recommendations that you feel necessary that it will take to reach those goals and and then sometimes blow those goals out of the water. So there's usually a ton of work that happens or or that gets, let's say, not scheduled, but just planned out. 
and it can be overwhelming, but we'd rather make all those recommendations and know, hey, here's the roadmap, than do half of them and know that the properties only get, let's say, halfway done so we don't overwhelm. Yeah, uh, and, and we've done that. In past past businesses make recommendations on a very manageable you know, we don't want to overwhelm them. Let's just do a little bit so they can see some changes. We kind of come at it from a, you're going to get the whole list of things to do, and it's up to you to complete those over time. We'll, we'll help you through the whole process, whether it's, you know, oh, I, don't, I, can't, I can't get this done, guys, or, or you know, what's, what's a subcontractor look like? You know, can, can we bring something like that in? We're going to help you through all that, but... We want to make sure that, hey, you know what needs to get done. And and here's the thing, though, too. If it doesn't get done, it's not the end of the world. You've already made a bunch of other good improvements. But, again, if the time allow and the resources ar- allow for those additional changes to be made, well, by golly, we want to make sure you know what it is that needs to get done. Yeah, absolutely. So this podcast is going to be a little bit of a uh, a lot of points from our – consulting trip so we did the consults in iowa and oklahoma that was another state you forgot on your list i was like ah there's he's missing one Uh, oh that's right we did hit those you did one with frank yep yep. and i did one with kyle kind of wrapping up of (coughs) of what those consults look like and so this is another one of those which we get a lot of great feedback that everybody enjoys these so we're going to do kind of a two-part two topic series where we're going to cover kind of a wrap-up of those consults, things we saw, things we recommended, and then kind of take that back into a big picture of going, okay, this is the trends that we've seen over the last year of consulting. Um, These are things that we're kind of putting together that we see a lot on properties and things that we can all chew on, think about, and use into our uh, tool bag of going, okay, let's let's really make some habitat. Uh, Let's put some habitat on the ground. We got some preaching to do. Yeah, that's right. Not just a little preachy this week. Um, we appreciate seriously. We do appreciate all the reviews. We're not making light of it at all. But um, you know, honestly, we we want to share information. We want to. We do want to challenge um, things. So if we we sound preachy, I guess that's 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 a good why. Thing. Well, I <laughs> I think when we started this podcast, it wasn't like I don't know if it ever came up in my head of going. Let's be an entertaining conservation voice. Yeah. It was like, no, there's a lot of really bad voices out there, and we're here to try to change change some minds. Yep. And uh, so here because, we are preaching it. Because the other thing is, too, we know the majority of land holding out there is in private landowners. You know, it's in their hand. The deed is in their name. So if we're going to make a difference, we got to educate those people. So that's what we're set out to do. Hopefully, hopefully we're doing it. That's right. So, um, we kind of came from two different two di- different parts of the country. I came from a southern pine plantation. I mean, I I guess I'll I'll share it now. Is like I'm in Mississippi, not too far from uh, like Vicksburg, and yep. a lot of rich history where I was at. I was not far from Union Church. Um, which is basically an intersection. Not a lot there, but a lot of people know of Union Church. When it was weird, Matt. When I was on that consult, let, let's let's I just had, think about that. How did it get its name? Well, I had a very, uh, I had a lot of guys reach out. To, there was like ten guys that reached out. Where you at, Mississippi? Where you yeah. at? 
and I'd say near Union Church, oh, I'm just up the road, or I'm just. Really? It's like, is every deer hunter in Mississippi <laughs> around Union Church? Yeah. Um. So uh, on one of the properties, or, or on this property, one of the food plots, uh, we're going around, and uh, the landowner told me, hey, yeah, we found I found a uh, an artifact here, a Native American uh, arrowhead. Mm-hmm. Really, that's cool. Yeah, and uh, he was checking one of his cameras, so I was just like, I'll take a little stroll. He had planted his food plots, and this is one of the topics of uh, he had he had done some disking and then broadcasting, and uh, so you know every time you disc, there's a chance you're going to turn up a new oh, sure. a new rock or whatever. I walked along, and I look, and I saw this like little green circle. I'm like, oh, that's interesting. So I pick it up and I look at it. Like, huh? That's got almost looks like an eagle on it. And in, in my head, I'm like, I bet that I bet that's a brass Civil War button. And sure enough, we kind of cleaned off the dirt, looked at it. It's an eagle with arrows and uh, some branches, and it's got a shield that says I. Anyway, end up from what our research says is it's a Union infantry or officer uh, in the infantry button. That's really cool. And so add that to the list of things that we found in the in the consulting world. This, uh, I guess, since we started because it was last year we found the oh like the scraper mm-hmm. for like when they're scraping skins. Uh, found one of those. Our client did, not us. Um, and then we found a bison tooth in uh, Oklahoma. Oklahoma. And then I found a Civil War button this year. So been pretty pretty stinking cool um so rich history very sandy soils um sandy clay um it kind of brings up one of our points of of tillage and we've talked about it a lot so we won't spend much time on it but tillage is one of those things that can be how many times we've said this on the podcast a lot but um maybe not enough we haven't preached it enough um when you see a man post a video or a story on Instagram or a picture and it's just a tractor with this huge dust cloud, how many times do you see the phrase waiting on rain, praying on praying for rain, doing our best rain dance? You see it all the time. Oh yeah. And it's one of those like it'd be like when am I gonna start seeing guys underneath their car taking the drain plug out, going, just hope it can make it fifty miles. It's like you're not going to make it very far without oil in your engine. Well, let, let's just, I mean, basic, basic, basic biology of plants. They need sunlight, and they need water, and they need nutrients. Okay, most of the time, soil is typically adequate enough for plants to be able to grow, generally speaking. They, uh, there's some perfection. There's some amendments that need to be made. But I don't understand trees and food plots like massive trees and food plots because it's blocking the sun and then you're going to have a, a less uh, a, you know a, a less quantity of, of forage produced in that and then I, I don't understand the disking of the ground when there's alternative methods that isn't going to rob or I guess say impede water infiltration and or moisture that was in the soil to be evaporated why start out by doing something that's detrimental to to what the plant needs and requires, why why are we why would you do that right out of the gate? Yeah, and, and make it. I understand. Yes, that it works, and it's, that farmers do it. It's the do cheap it. way to do it. 
it's a lot cheaper than buying a no-till drill, going out and buying a no-till drill. Totally. But at the same time, there are ways, especially in sandy soil or clay soils, where you can get, you can, there are so many different plant species that you could plant, broadcasting, mm-hmm. cultipacking, just even spraying out whatever's growing there now. Specifically and, and during the fall months. Yeah. Uh, you, can, you can do it. It's like, okay, let's just back it up and say, what's one of the, if, if I'm going to go plant a garden, well, what's the worst thing I could do? How about we just try to take all the moisture out of the soil and then plant? That's yeah. really what you're doing. Because yeah. that, that bean or that seed, whatever it is that you're planting, goes in, what, max two inches, max. But you just take in all the, the soil moisture out of the ground where that seed is. The seed bed is dry. So now you have to wait on rain to now come so you can have some moisture in there. But what you do over time is you completely destroy that soil infrastructure to where um, it's so much harder for the rain to penetrate and soak into that soil. It's more creating a runoff um, soil structure to where you're really putting yourself behind the eight ball. And so, yeah, that's, that's, you can do this and disc and people are like, I've been discing for years. Yeah, you have. If and, and you may be in a place like Iowa, Michigan, or somewhere where you just got phenomenal topsoil. It's all great. But if you do that in areas where you have more gravel, you have more rock, you have more sand. You have more clay. It, you are setting yourself up, Not maybe not short term, but long term, you're going to struggle more and more. Especially if you're not putting the adequate amendments. Real quick. Real fertilizer quick. and lime onto that soil. What happens in gravelly soil? Rainwater, either if you're disking, it, it, you, you don't have the, let's say, the, uh, the soil infrastructure that let the holes, the, the porousness of that soil to soak yeah. it in. So you've destroyed that by disking. It either hits the rock, completely goes down into the soil profile because it's a karst, more karst environment, or it just runs right off. During clay situation, you either, it runs straight off, or you get some. You turn it into and a it brick, turn, Exactly, and you turn it into a brick when it dries out, and it's super hard. And then sandy soil is either right. If you're disking, turn it over. You still don't have the porousness of it. Um or the organic matter, soak it in. So it's you destroy that. Yeah, it dries out again super quick or runs off. And so either every situation you have the same thing. A bad seed bed, either dry or super hard seed bed, for plants to thrive in. And that's what we all want. We, we want our efforts and our time spent managing the land to bear fruit, if you will. And, and don't do something right out of the gate with that time and that resource that's going to be detrimental to the actual forward you're trying to produce. A huge part of our business is trying to prioritize and manage time and money. So always best bang for your buck. And so it's, okay, how can I make the biggest and best improvements with the, with the shortest amount of time and the, the littlest amount of money? When it comes to heavy tillage and food plotting, that's like, first off, food plottings take a lot of time. But then you start adding disking and broadcasting and cultipacking and all that stuff. It takes more and more time for half the time you're going to have really poor results. Unless you get the timing right and there's a lot of rain and, 
and you get plenty of uh, uh, growth and it doesn't get too hot, let's say you plant in spring or you don't get an early frost like you planted in the fall, all those things combine. And then, but before that, to start it all off, you do the very thing that's the most detrimental with heavy tillage. You're really, really struggling. You're going to struggle, and it's going to be something that um, I hope. It's just one of those things that is a very backwards way of thinking and a very uh, big struggle for a lot of us. And before you start saying, wow, that's pretty, pretty preachy, we're coming at it from a we've done this for years and years and finally stuck back and said, this is all wrong. We have to do something different. Well, here, and again, we said we weren't going to take a lot of time on it, but here we go. This goes back to, I guess, the kind of the second part of this podcast that we'll get to is we have to manage for the worst times and the worst, the worst, let's say, outcomes of, uh, let's say, a given life cycle of a turkey or, you know, the worst times of a year uh, for a deer, whatever it may be. Same thing when your food plot is. You have to what is minimize that the failures. Plan for the best, expect the worst or something yeah, like that. Yeah, exactly. And that's all that this really boils down to is expect the worst when you're trying to food plot. Expect it not to rain or expect it to um, have an early frost, whatever it may be. But plan for those and, and the techniques that you use should be respecting those worst times and it, and if you're going in disking all we're saying is you're not respecting the 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 probability or the op, the occasion that it's going to get dry or you're going to miss that rain that you see predicted uh, it it just is it's going to happen at some point so take take the measure take the time to choose alternative techniques that don't get you started on the wrong foot that's all that's saying yeah so What's what's next? Uh, so this goes with a lot of properties we go to, but just the overabundance of closed canopy forest. Yes. It's just one of those things that you see it so much. Um, and it's like one of those, it's almost like the Smokey the Bear campaign, which was trying to prevent wildfires. But it was preached and so uh, you saw Smokey everywhere that it became this fire is bad, not wildfires are bad. So everybody started getting this mindset of uh, any, any, kind of fire, any fire any is bad. So anytime you saw a guy do implementing prescribed fire, you're like, oh, that's a huge no-no. Hey, Smokey says you shouldn't do that. And uh, so closed canopy forest is almost gotten that, it's like the new problem that we have because of uh, the idea that we have to have forests to save the planet. We have to have forests. Yes, we have to have forests to save the planet. Trees are a huge part. We need we need trees. But there's more forest but, on this planet right now than there ever has been. Yeah, and when you stack let in me trees... Ju- let me just say North America. I can't speak for okay. anywhere else. But North America... More there's, trees than there's ever more before. trees than ever before. Nebraska, that was a grassland, is now a cedar yeah. patch. Oklahoma is cedar of patch. Kansas. Well, just look at look at the the Atlantic or Mid Atlantic regions, um, or the Appalachian Mountains, parts of uh, Kentucky, Tennessee. Those were plain states. I saw. Uh, not, excuse me, not all those states I mentioned, but Kentucky, Tennessee had they vast, had, they vast had prairies. prairies. 
or or uh, some of them were definitely more of savanna woodland types uh, areas. We we talk, we look at Georgia and Alabama. There's trees all over those states right now. Are you kidding me? We have tons of trees. Yeah, and so a lot of people just think, oh, I gotta have trees. Like, uh, I I shared that story with you that, you know, one of my neighbors when he bought his farm, and people were getting permission to hunt. He said, you can have permission to hunt it, just don't cut my trees and don't yeah. let anybody else cut my trees. Yeah. And so, trees, the overabundance of trees, and the uh, and the thought that trees are gonna save the planet is one of the biggest problems that land managers or ew, land owners who land are looking owners, to naturalists, benefit wildlife. That's what we're up against. Because just because trees are good doesn't mean that trees should be everywhere and trees should be all closed canopy. At the same time, you're setting yourself up for disease, die-off, Big problems because you're going to have unhealthy trees. This is why I love this topic right here is why I love in the field consultations. I yeah. mean, like, like getting on a property, walking them, describing to, to everyone on a podcast every week is extremely valuable. But it doesn't hold a candle, let's say, to getting out there on a property and showing right in front of you the examples that we talked about on the podcast right before your eyes i'm sure you were in mississippi um and were able to find areas within the closed canopy forest that were trees were dying and and, and same thing in virginia you know we we went across so many different acres and every little ridge or every little sway whatever it was there were so many trees that you know you just walk up to and you just you push right over I yeah. mean, they're they're dying out and they're struggling to survive. It's really when you look at the health of each individual tree, you don't just look at it from an aerial and say, okay, that's closed canopy forest, but you really evaluate individual trees and break them out outside of, let's say, a, a population level. Individual trees, they weren't and they aren't that healthy. No. A I, lot of trees aren't supposed to be that shape. That canopy's not supposed to be stressed like that. It shouldn't twist and turn searching for light. It should be a full canopy tree, healthy individual. But walk through your forest and critically look at the structure of the trees. Look at the bark. Is it peeling? Is that canopy stressed out? Is you it see a lot of little, li- uh, uh, little wilting s- limbs? Little little limbs, like smaller than a pencil, all growing out of one little cluster all up and down the trunk is it showing signs that um are is this giant oak or this big tree that had a bunch of lower limbs are those lower limbs starting to die off Mm -hmm. is it trying to self prune um and all those can be signs that wow this wasn't such a closed canopy forest this probably had signs of of uh or this probably had a lot of open a lot of open uh, canopy around, more of a woodland savan- uh, woodland setting, or man, there's some really big trees, but everything in between is just a lot of young stuff, a little small stuff. Like Maybe very it was more sh- of savanna, or or very just shade tolerant species that are themselves. E- I, I you know you see shade tolerant trees struggling for for sunlight, and it's like you're a, you're a tree who likes the shade. 
and you're not even doing well. It's so closed off. Yeah, I'll share one of those little stories. Um, of course, I, where I was at in Mississippi, American Beautyberry was very uh, prevalent. Mm-hmm. Um, lots of it. Of course, by now you guys probably know it's one of my favorites, so I kind of key in on that. I'm really looking around going, man, there's a lot of Beautyberry in this understory. That's awesome. But if you get to looking close, I mean, I was there in October – uh, I guess it was like two weeks ago, and there's no berries. There should be yeah. tons of berries. It should be littered with berries and fruit. And it's October. It should have b- fruit all over it. Barely any. Barely any. Where at, though? Bar- barely any in the understory. Yep. So these these trees or these shrubs were growing just enough to survive but could not get enough nutrients and sunlight to, to bear fruit. To bear fruit. Yeah. But go right around the corner, and it's like, oh, here it is growing. The road's a little bit wider. This spot, this skitter trail that doesn't get bush hogged every year, has a lot of American Beautyberry growing up in it, covered in berries. But let's let's pause right there for a second and say, okay, ten years down the road, if nothing happens, if there's no disturbances, is that American Beautyberry going to be able to hang on that long? Maybe. Maybe so. But guess what? In that whole 10-year span, if nothing happened, all that understory of Beautyberry is not producing seeds. It's not, you know, increasing, let's say, in its population or its ability to spread. So 10 years down the road, if nothing happens, we don't change our mindset of that area of what, of its productiveness, you're not going to have any more improved wildlife habitat. It's just going to be stagnant. It's going to be very still. And so you look at that from our, our eyes, our mindset, and say, wow, there's a species right there that is here. It is present. It is struggling. How do I make this better? And the, the only thing you have to do is, is really add sunlight to, that, to right. that area right there. And no, it's not that we want just solid understory of American Beautyberry, but you're not going to get that. You're, there's going to be, you said, uh, along I these roads, sa- I haven't said it yet. You haven't said it yet. You said it pre pre podcast, but there was uh, little blue stem all over the place. Yeah, go too. ahead and tell my story. Go there ahead. you go. I'm stealing it. But that's the value of saying, looking at these indicator species around the area and being critical of closed canopy forest. What what happens if I do change this? You can predict the future, basically, by opening up your eyes and, and knowing what's going to change. Looking at the very f- faint remnants around and going, okay, yeah. every yeah. little spot of the road that wasn't being, that's not gravel, there's, I mean, the road system on that property was incredible, but um, you look in between where trees start and road sta- uh, starts, there would be little blue stem, and partridge pea were the dominant ones. Mm-hmm. Some goldenrods, um, and then you'd have these little these little shrubs with American Beautyberry. And you're going, man, this could be so productive for the wildlife. There's a chance that, you know, if there are any kind of quail population around here, that maybe we bring the quail back. But it, the biggest thing it takes is to completely change what our eyes see currently. And going, mm-hmm. those pines are too thick. Those oaks in the valley are too thick 
We go everywhere on the property and we can find shade. There's no problem to find shade in the middle of the day, in the heat of the sun. Yep. There's still shade 90% of the forest floor. And uh, that's a huge problem. If and, and it's so much of a step away from the aesthetics because I can assure you there's not one animal flying, crawling, slithering, walking through that timber is going, boy, this sure looks pretty in my eyes. I like this. <laughs> probably, They're probably going, not. I've got to walk my way through this to get over to wherever to get food. Yeah. Because it, it was, I see this so much in, and th- there's a lot of problems uh, in trying to manage this. Like, there's not a whole lot of value in those pines because they're, um, they're younger pines that need to be thinned, but they're struggling of the size to find a logger to to yeah. want them. Right, right, so right. So that's it's not this isn't anything that the landowner's in the wrong. He he's only owned this property a few years, yeah, so right. he's in the process of of setting this up and changing it. But um, it's one of those pine plantations that it's so thick that you know it when you see it but like you look at the understory and the whole ground is nothing but pine needles yeah. and they're so thick that like green briars trying to grow up the trees right. there's no leaves and there's needles just hanging on everything right right where right, you're right, like right, right yeah i know exactly what you're talking y- about you know the fire that goes through there you're going to have to pick a very ideal day to burn without crowning out trees because it's going to there's years and years and years of pine needles how, under there how old was the stand 15 it was right there around 10 years 10? old okay. yeah. yeah wow i believe memory <coughs> serves me correct you know we're looking at a lot i mean the pines and they were thick right and uh the only thing really growing in the understory was there wasn't even sweet gums really growing in the understory because it was so shaded out mm-hmm. there was there was beauty berry growing in like you know, when the when the man planting the pines got off track or there was something that made him veer out and instead of being uh, whatever, six foot or yeah. whatever. Whatever spacing was. There was a little bit of a gap where he might have went around a stump or something at some point. That's where Beautyberry was growing mm-hmm. and struggling. Yeah. And... Uh, but you know what? Like that's such a positive, though, too. Like it's such a, it's such almost like a relief from we don't we don't have to guess what's gonna be there. No. You it's know like, it's you know it's beneficial. Snap your fingers. You do this so much. It's like okay, let's say we're gonna we snap our fingers and we're gonna see it five years now. It gets thin next year. In five years, what's it look like? Boom. Got oh, it. we've got a lot more stuff growing in the other story. We've got a lot more little blue. We've got a lot more parks pea. We've got a lot more. Um, American Beauty Berry, American Briar, Beauty Berry, sure. uh, Blackberry. There's a back. lot of briars, brambles growing, and you know there might be some uh, Chinese privet. Okay, we're gonna keep burning it, try to knock that out. Uh, it's all a process, uh, but, but it's but, much more beneficial. But le- in, instead of you're completely inversing something right there, and I think that's another point that needs to be hit on, is let's say the the ninety ten rule. If you were to take that that plantation. Um, 90% of that plantation, let's just say call it 20 acres, 90% of that was really poor habitat. 10% was marginal at best, right? Yep. You flip that five years from now by doing what was recommended or by going in and, and having the ability to thin it, 
Now you're taking 90% good because we know what the understory can be, will be, with the right habitat recommendations and, and practices followed up. 90% good in that 20 acres. And then if you have some privet come back, okay, 10% is bad. But I would much rather have 90% good than 10% good on a property that Absolutely. I'm managing for wildlife. Absolutely. And, and, and it's not just like the trees are going to be healthier, growing much faster, um, because they're not so stacked in and competing with each sure, other. Sure, sure. Um, yeah. And so, you know, that's just another another thing. But, um, one other one other story, and I, I mean, this, this landowner is awesome, um, and I'm going to go back to the trees of being, we're going to save the planet. Like, yeah. uh, it's it's Earth Day, go plant a tree. How many times have you seen that on Earth Day? Oh, I'm yeah. 32, so I've seen it at least 20 years yeah. of going, oh, Earth Day, let's go plant a tree. I love Earth Day. It's awesome. There's recognition of, of creation and the resources, Conservation. natural resources. Yeah. When is the Earth Day going to happen that says, on this Earth Day, let's go thin some timber? Yeah, yeah, exactly. Because... We have enough trees. <laughs> there's, there's plenty. <laughs> Let's go thin some, yeah. thin some timber, and make some trees healthier. Mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. Allow them to have more nutrients, so therefore they make more acorns. Let's let's uh, or they make more berries. Or how many times do you see persimmon trees growing in a forest and not making any persimmons? Oh yeah. So or or they bear you heard it two. here first. This Earth Day. Let's cut go some cut tree. some trees. <laughs> <laughs> well, that's the thing. Of if someone asked me the other day, I think it was an email that came in. They're like, "Is there like is there such thing as too much of a good thing? Is is a bad thing?" Yeah, yeah, that that is the case. You know, we want diversity, and if you like, we don't just want diversity in the tree species that are present on a property. You want diversity from the ground all the way up to some canopy. You want diversity in forbs and in some grasses and in some shrubs, and then in the tree species too that are present on a place. You got to have it all, and that's all we're talking about by going in and cutting some stinking trees is have that well-rounded property that uh, that has all these different species or let's say classification of of vegetation present on a property if all you had was trees what good is that mm, yeah it's like is a is a white oak tree good if, yeah if deer ate bark sure that would be okay is, but they uh, don't is on it the most best? species is if it the are, best? Woof. I think we really struggle to, or, or we start a lot of problems if we start trying to find the best. Oh, yeah. Because oh, yeah. it's like the best for who or what. Mm-hmm. Um, so Let's just cover the like, basis and have it all. <laughs> I, 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 It annoys me to see somebody say. Whoa, whoa, whoa. whoa. Don't get preaching now. We, we are marking this timber because we want white oaks. Yeah. And so you start marking out and and trying to kill and remove all the other trees, but white oaks. Like white white oaks are good, but gosh, I I don't want an overabundance of white oaks, and I don't want an overabundance though too of red oaks. I want yeah. that healthy mixture because both have their role in acorn production. They both bear differently and have different results when the acorn actually goes and hits the ground. That's right. So you yeah. can have both. Yeah. Or. I don't want to just remove, hey, you know what? I woke up today. I hate hickories. Doesn't matter what species of hickory it is. I hate them. I want them all gone. 
Well, that's a pretty bad thing to, that's a pretty bad mindset to have. Now, granted, like on my family farm, loggers loved oaks for a lot of years. So you now have an have overabundance. Of hickories. Yeah. So when we do a lot of cutting, we cut a lot of hickories. But not to say we're going to go out and cut every single hickory. No. Same thing could even be said for, uh, shoot, elm. Oh, yeah. Well, especially in bottomland. There's a lot of elm that come back. Yeah. It's just we want we want the native species. We just don't want too much of that species. Sure. And and that'll certainly. come later in the podcast with three different types of three different types of plants and mindsets. You so know, that that kind of ties right into an observation there in Virginia that I had of, you know, we talk about long-term management of of everything. And here's okay, we talk about cutting trees and the value that that has, but Let's let's not stop there at cutting trees because in some areas of one of the properties that we were on, um, we were able to look back at what was a clear cut probably 20, 25 years ago. And what was coming back was not of, of very much benefit or of timber value. And it was the species that were just bleh. And it's like, we can't just go and cut trees and then not manage what comes back. We as a land manager are totally responsible. It falls on your shoulders if you are going and doing this and, and actively cutting the trees, which again is a good thing, but don't just stop at cutting the trees. Use prescribed fire. Go and do the TSI, the timber stand Know what kind of trees you're cutting. Absolutely. Learn what species are growing on your property. One, one of the species that came back very prevalent in the areas that had been clear cut years and years and years ago was tulip poplar. And and yeah. tulip poplar is a native species and it grows throughout the mid Atlantic regions all over and, and beyond. However, when you look at it, it doesn't provide very much benefit for wildlife species. And again, when it's overabundant in that general area, or let, let's say, again, another 20-acre section. If it's overabundant, then that's a bad thing now, and we need to do something about it. Or if we want to improve that, we need to do something about it because tulip poplar grows straight, and it grows fast, and it will shade out everything so quickly. And that's what had happened. That's what had occurred. There was no follow-up after a clear-cut situation, no promotion of additional oaks or hard, true hardwood timber in those areas, and it was just soft soft um, timber and, and ver- no, there's no pro- uh, mass production in those areas completely closed canopy and it was just a void of wildlife mm-hmm. one of the other mm. crazy crazy things and at least there is a pulpwood market but some of the old pastures that were on this place and these these were probably thir- 25 to 30 year old openings was 100% straight Virginia pine Ooh. And it's it's this never what? mind. <laughs> I almost said something that might offend people, oh. so I, I was gonna say he's the uh I, I think it's a common enough phrase and this isn't anything bad on, on this type of people, but the stepchild of the pines, the yeah, Virginia yeah. pine. It 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 is uh yeah, not not very good. Gnarly, scraggly, just very it just it's one of those successional plants honestly in in where he's at that just comes back and it just grows man it just grows and but there was literally 
nothing green on the ground in no. in these areas. And and of a three hundred and twenty acre property, it was completely like sixty acres were completely Virginia pine openings. They, they were dotted across, you know, five acres here, twenty here, fifteen here, another five on these little openings, and it's like Thank goodness that there's a pulpwood market that they can come in, chip that stuff, get it gone, um, and we can restart and then manage what that field used to be. Uh, we can we can take on active management and keep it in early successional cover, and be so much better off. We're we're literally going from zero value in 60 acres to whew, incredible amount of value. That's awesome. I, it, it is just this, like that. Is this where you saw the rough grouse? No, different uh, different property. And, and again, was there rough grouse at both places, or co- could there, there be? There could be. Yes. Yeah. Yes, so that'll absolutely. be awesome. Yeah. And and then addition to that, there's the pulpwoods getting out of there. They're going to have a selective harvest on massive marketable logs. Um, so they're select cutting that, clearing. They're following up with prescribed fire. Going to do some TSI. It, like that's one of those things where we start off the podcast is that property literally will never look the same. They will w- completely change its appearance and its productiveness for the goals that they have. And truthfully, looking at the timber value, not necessarily pulp, pulpwood market, but the marketable timber, they will make money. In, in, in all the recommendations that will follow after a harvest, they still will have money in their pockets. They're getting not necessarily paid to to do this. However, they're just utilizing the resources on the property to make an absolute dynamite place. How what cool is that? What was the native landscape? I haven't looked it up yet, truthfully. Um, but in that area, typically there was definitely rolling and then the very foothills of the Appalachians. Yeah. So. You're going to have quite a I few was, openings. I was in that uh, kind of that break of more of the woodland type stuff because, you know, I, I'm coming out. I'm not too far from the Mississippi River. Uh, all that flat, fertile prairie yeah. ground, yeah. delta, marsh. And then you hit the hills, and it's like, so you picture the fire, and, you know, you see the remnant grasslands uh, or remnant grasses and forbs. It's like that's yeah. what that landscape really looked like. So, And, and here's to say this. Um, you know, a lot of people are like, oh, okay, you guys talk about native grasses. That's, that's awesome. That's really cool. Um, but you know, my area, we just, we just don't want to have them. But like on that property, foothills of, of the Appalachians there, I mean, we saw Indian, Indian grass. We saw a uh, little blue stem, like all the same stuff that this, and this thing blows my mind. The same species that you dealt with minus American beauty berry. I didn't see any of that, but any, I guarantee you that guy's not listening to the podcast. (laughs) (laughs) I don't know if anybody can hear that, but there's a deep bass just thumping right here on the stoplight. Um, However, a lot of the same species that you dealt with or saw in Mississippi are the same similar stuff that we're managing there. And it's like, how many, there's probably 800 miles difference. Soils are different, but roughly the same species are present on the landscape. Absolutely. Yeah. All I'm right. distracted by that awesome car right there. I'm being very sarcastic. <laughs> <laughs> oh. All y- right. Y- you know, and and that's where it's like, well, you automatically you think of the the where you were, you think, okay, well that was heavy forest. Well, you still have grasses and forbs 
in a in a woodland type setting. Oh yeah, um, in places like sure you had backslope forests and bottomland forests and a riparian forest, but you still had woodlands. And I guarantee you there was still a lot of uh, fire, wildfires that swept totally. across those areas. Um, and but we we're so far removed from that because of just. But again, here's the encouraging thing of it all is we're so far removed, yet those species, thank goodness they are strong. They have held on for that long. Yeah, they're a whole lot stronger than our food plot species. That oh, man, yeah. <laughs> we plant and we don't get rain and they die in one, <laughs> in one month. Um, yeah. Yes, and so, uh, you know, it's it just there's a lot of things that, that really come back to just understanding that you know, trees are great. Native grasses are great. Forbs are great. Their shrubs are great. Brambles are great. But I wouldn't go out and buy a 200-acre crop farm and say, you know what? I love blackberry. I think it is the best thing I could. I think it's one of the best plants for wildlife, for a long list of wildlife. I'm going to plant the whole place in blackberry. You wouldn't do that. No. At the same time, Switchgrass is uh, is awesome. I love switchgrass. I wouldn't even plant 5% of my property in switchgrass. No. Because it gets too doggone thick. Because that 5 turns into 15 pretty dang quickly if it's, if it's not managed. Percentage-wise is what Matt's talking about. Yeah, that, yeah, yeah. that 5% that you plant could turn into 15%, especially if you're doing, like, uh, dormant season fires. Right. Uh, all of a sudden, you're just like, man, that switchgrass is going everywhere. And... As time progresses, that, it gets a little thicker and a little thicker, and then less wildlife start using it. That that good thing turns into a negative thing. Yeah. Or 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 not necessarily a negative thing, but something that's that's not as beneficial. Yeah. That's constricting the good that other places have to be able to offer on your property. Yeah. And so it's definitely something to look out for. I I love white oak trees. We both love bur oak trees. Oh man. We wouldn't go plant the whole place in bur oaks. No. Or, it's, and, it's and just I certainly like our, our problem with WRP pro- programs. We've got clients that have dealt with WRP. We've dealt with it on the uh, real estate side. And for the most part, we always suggest uh, there, are, there are things, times that we have tackled it. But for the most part, WRP programs, if there's the question of should I buy, should I not buy, We've advised walking away from them because of where it's at in in uh, secession, where it's at as far as um, it's already closed canopy. Or and the, the constrictions and, and, to be able to manipulate And it. you can't do anything to kill those trees, cut those trees, thin those trees. You're pretty much stuck with 20-foot tall trees that are already shading out the ground. Not much we can do there. And, and you know, all contracts are are different. However, you know, before going into them, the ones Just we dealt them. with weren't. <laughs> read them yep. um, closely. But that's the thing, you know, going back to the trees and just overvaluing things. Of if, if my property is, let's say it's even 60% trees, I'm, I'm not probably going to go and start planting additional trees on a property when that's that's the majority of of my property i would just rather go and manage those trees that i do have 
to make them more beneficial. That goes back to the podcast, you know, with with Craig Harper is, hey, you know, we can we can go and identify the strong producers in certain areas, promote them, and they will produce more um, acorn mast. And guess what? They're going to do it. They're going to do it so much faster than us going out and planting a tree. Then yeah. I mean, we're going to see that change in our lifetime. Yeah, that's they, oh, that's you know change I mean? we can see. Yeah, and again. Short-term and long-term goals, yeah, we can go back to that real quick, is the short-term is I get the benefit of managing that timber. I get the benefit of managing, you know, the understory that comes back by opening up the canopy, doing the crop tree release in those in those areas. If I'm just going out and planting trees, I have to then maintain the utilization cage. I have to maintain, um, let's say, maybe mulching, weed eating around, whatever it may be, taking time away I'm not saying I don't like planting trees or the trees aren't important. We got to make sure that's the case or that, that that's clear, but it goes back to the time and value of the return that you and the land are going to get. Yeah. Ooh. And the fact that you probably already have enough. Yeah. yeah. Would you go and plant? I would plant shrubs most likely. Yeah, my farm is a great example. Yeah, I've got yeah. a lot of open acres, but I still have a lot of trees. I'm not going to go plant more trees. Negative. I'm going to go thin the trees I have because I got too many already. Yeah. It's a woodland. 99% of my property is a woodland. Yep. And it's closed canopy. Right. And so it's still a work in progress. I'm going to thin trees. I'm not going to cut. I'm not going to plant trees. I'm going to thin trees and make the ones and allow the ones I have to be healthier, produce more fruit. And overall, I'm going to have more diversity on my place because quail aren't walking around going man i wish they'd plant more short-leaf pine yeah they're going i wish they'd have something for me to hide yeah i wish they had something for me to i eat. wish they had more bunch grass native native yep. grasses that are bunch grass and i wish they had more forbs let's not get confused too with with uh old wild turkey we kind of left it out of the discussion here for a little bit today but literally Besides some hard mass that trees do produce, um, which you don't need an overabundance of on a property, let's just say let's just say you had thirty percent of a property that was hardwood mass-producing trees, and the rest was native shrubs, grasses, forbs on a property. You can't tell me turkeys would not thrive there in that environment. Yeah, thrive. They don't need just straight up hardwoods for miles. To well, thrive. That's what? my next. They roost that's in my trees. Next, that's my next point here. What else? Um, avoiding large acres of anything. Yeah, yeah. It's like, yeah. Now, okay, let's just say I've got. You know what? I really like native grasses and and wildflowers. I wouldn't plant fifty acres or a hundred acres, let's say, of just native wa- grasses and wildflowers. I'd mix in shrubs. I'd mix in these pockets of of shrubs or um, brambles um, and try to have diversity of, of briars, brambles, shrubs, then grasses, and not just three types of grasses, but some short grasses, some tall grasses, some sedges, um, all these things that are native because that's what I, I want more diversity. I don't want to just say, okay, let me look at the list. I want you big blue, to- little blue, and Indian grass, and then I want... Um, these five forbs. I want black-eyed Susan, and I want purple prairie clover, and I want uh, prairie coreopsis. Those are the three. 
uh, and those are my three grasses. Plant the whole field in it. That would be like, yep. Wow, that's it's just monotony. Cool. It's it's probably much more beneficial um, than <laughs> than a vast majority uh, uh, of acres. However, uh, at however, the same time, you still wouldn't do it. You still miss the mark. Yep. Um, you, if, you need diversity. You if, have to have diversity yeah. if you want a diversity of species and an abundant amount of species of, of wildlife. Yeah, I mean, that that's the thing. Is, again, you have to go back and look at the lifestyle. I mean, not the, not the lifestyle, the life cycle, excuse me, of the, the species that you're trying to promote. At no point does, does one single species, or let's just say 10 species on a property that dominate it, are they going to provide everything a, a deer, turkey, quail need? Let, let, okay. Let's take a 100% canopy forest um, of 100 acres. Okay, so there's no openings, and all the tree species you have, let's just name 10. White oak, red oak, black oak, um, tulip poplar, uh, uh, pine. American uh, elm. Uh, American elm, a, hick- a shagbark hickory. Um, what else can we go with here? Uh, Maybe throw in some. A uh, walnut. Okay, sure. Why not? Yeah, hackberry. Hackberry. We need one more, and let's go with a let's go with a black Chinese gum. privet. <laughs> no. Um, so there's ten right there, ten species that all are different. But there's that hundred acres. Really, what can that property do for wildlife throughout an entire year? There's like so many gaps and and deficient times of the year that that property is not going to excel in no. and if that property is in a block a timber block of 2,000 acres how in the world would it ever stand out among the rest oh and and even manipulating those 10 species and by that I'm saying if you took that 100 acres you're like you know what you, you know what I'm going to go in and I'm going to take five acres and uh, it may be 10 different half acre clear cuts right 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 or a half acre things and i'm going to hinge cut 100 percent of those trees in those clear cuts you still are stuck with the same species just in a different form you might get for uh, a couple years two three years some some ground vegetation maybe got some maybe got a, a short expression of uh, some some brambles forbs, right and brambles that come back but then boom as soon as that canopy closes right back you, you're back to the same exact species you had. Just growing as crooked as a dog's leg. Yeah, exactly. So it's like that that didn't do anything. That's, again, why we have to look at now and 20 years down the road when we look at manipulating the habitat for stated clear goals of what it is you want to accomplish on a place. It's not there's, – there's no just – best practice for this region or this area it's so property specific that let, let's say adam you go to that place in mississippi that same exact example and the understory you saw was chinese privet versus american beautyberry your recommendation or the steps in which that that landowner would have taken would be completely different if that species was present and american beautyberry wasn't you would have targeted the the privet, gotten it out of there first, and then gone in and done what needed to get done. Yeah. Because if you hadn't, and all you had done is just go and cut, it'd be the nothing pine. but more privet. Exactly. Yeah. Because you're managing levels of growth. Really, you're going. What do I want? Do I want? Okay. Once these pines are thin, what's my next? What's my next thing? Yeah. 
uh, it's Chinese privet or is it grasses, Forbes, and American beautyberry? Um, and it, to me, it, it's one of those. It's one of those things too that you need to think about. Like, if you have those, this is what's so amazing. Here's the saving grace of it. Um, if you do have all this closed canopy forest, you start implementing some, let's just say, one acre clear cut scattered across the property in, uh, in arrangement with your hunting locations. You create destinations almost immediately to where deer are like, finally, we have something to eat, something, some cover. Yeah. It's almost like uh, I, I gave this analogy for the guys in Mississippi. You know, like, let's just say uh, I grew up sp- with a, my my parents burned firewood. That was our main form of heat. So oh, yeah. splitting, Likewise. splitting, stacking <clears throat> firewood was something I hated um, because it was so dominating. But those uh, wood piles have a lot of insects with them, a lot specifically uh, roaches or beetles and grubs and grubs. But I'm talking about things that crawl. Okay. Gotcha. If you had a piece of wood or a uh, like a a tarp, so we covered our wood to keep it dry yeah. with tarps. If one of those tarps, whatever, hung down on the ground for a while, or you had a piece of wood like plywood or something thrown over there, if it's been there for a while, you yank it up, and there's a bunch of roaches and beetles. What do they start doing? They're running everywhere. What do they run to? They're trying to like run to another piece of wood to hide under. Yeah, that's how I picture deer with clear cuts in vast amounts of closed canopy forest. They almost run around trying to get to the next clear cut. You go into that clear cut and you run them out of there, they're blowing through trying to get to the next thicket, trying to get to the next secure cover. Piece of of cover. And so that's what's so amazing about doing these these, uh, clear cuts, these these bedding thickets, wildlife openings, whatever you want to call them, because deer and other wildlife need them so much. Same thing with rough grouse. Like that constant disturbance in your forest is what creates that habitat for those species or for that particular species. And yet we've got to get out of this aesthetic look of saying, dang, that looks good. I love being able to see 300 yards, 200 yards, 100 yards through my forest. That's not what the wildlife need. That's not what the wildlife want. It's not about you. It's not about me. It's not about what I want. It's what the wildlife want. Well, Train yourself to want what the wildlife want. If, if your goals are stated to produce better habitat for wildlife species. Not well, every landowner. I can't imagine anybody's listening to this podcast that's <laughs> wanting aesthetics. Yeah. <laughs> They've already shut us off and left yeah, us a bad that's prob- review. That's probably true. <laughs> um, yeah. So one, one thing I wanted to say, too, before we wrap this up, I know we're done, and, and this is going to come back up in later podcasts because I thought we'd get to it 30 minutes in, not at the we hour did. mark. We look at really kind of three three main things that, that are uh, problematic species or circumstances. We have invasive non-native species like Chinese privet, kudzu, autumn olive, stilt grass, stilt grass the, the, it's a long list, pompous grass, whatever, Cerisa lespedeza. Then you have aggressive. That's category one. That's category one. Then you have aggressive native species. And that these are species that are native to the landscape but because of 
one natural disturbance or natural cycle being removed, they get over-aggressive and are now put out on the landscape. Case in point, the Virginia pine that we talked about earlier. Case in point, the tulip poplar. It just took over. It Eastern red cedar. Yeah, it just took over and shaded out everything else. Because for Eastern red cedar, fire was removed, and therefore it was allowed to just go crazy. And the openings talked about on the Virginia property, in those circumstances, grazing was removed from those areas. And they just took over. Took over. So you've got invasive non-native, you've got aggressive native, and then the other one is unwanted landscape. And all three of these categories are things we don't want and that we must manage. So you may have, in your circumstance, you may be a landowner that has feels like you're always fighting invasive species. Keep fighting the good fight. Mm-hmm. Because sometimes land management is not, I need to introduce a species to my property. It's, I need to remove species from my property so the species that are here but struggling can now fully express themselves. And, or, I need to manage, just strictly manage the species that are present because I have too much of this aggressive, maybe it's from past landowners who who avoided you know management practices that needed to get done and now you have too much of native species that are overtaking they're aggressive and you just need to manage the ones that you have yeah so aggressive another aggressive native would be switchgrass i i love cave and rock switchgrass a lot of deer hunters have planted it advocated for it but it can be aggressive if I'm doing nothing but dormant season fires, I'm burning in February, March, and I've got this whole big bedding area uh, of native grasses, and there's a lot of switchgrass in it. it over time, that's going to just keep coming back thicker and thicker. I need to do some dormant season disking, some growing season fires, graze it hard during peak performance of that switchgrass, and allow other stuff to grow. Yep. Those are all different things. You may be fighting the good fight against some aggressive native species, trying to add more diversity. The last one, unwanted landscapes, are another thing. Uh, if you were to ask me, do you want Cerisa lespediza? Do you want eastern red cedars? Or do you want closed canopy forest? Well, I'd say I don't want any of them. <laughs> yeah, no and doubt. The, all three of them are worthless to me. I, I don't want them. So I'm going to manage against them. And therefore, unwanted landscapes of closed canopy forest or monoculture of species A, B, and C, I don't want them. So I'm managing against them. So you may be a landowner that is managing closed canopy forest. You don't have to fight invasive species. You don't have to fight aggressive native species. Or, or it's You just have to manage what you have. That's great. you still got work to do. The point being, as landowners, land stewards, maybe you don't own the land, you lease the land, we all have the responsibility to understand our landscape, understand our species, and manage them to make them more beneficial for our wildlife, our plant species, our flora, fauna, all that you have work to do. And it find all goes back. your weakness. Yeah. Whatever it is on your property, find the weakness Attack and address it. Attack it with a vengeance, and then you are, you made improvements right there out of the gate. Woo, there it is. Enough preaching for one day. Yeah.